Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. On this episode, we're going to talk about uh, two topics. First, we'll talk about the state legislative session here in Arizona, which is usually finished by now, but isn't. We'll also talk about the Arizona state primaries for the upcoming uh, midterm elections. Remember that if you're registered as an independent, you can still vote in the primary elections in early August. Uh, Independent voters who want to vote by mail have until Thursday, June 9th to decide if you want to pull a Democratic or Republican primary ballot. If you're an independent, you can also go straight to the polls um, in person and request either a Republican or Democratic primary ballot. So uh, the second part of this conversation will be geared more towards independent voters, but I think Democrats or Republicans who are listening will also appreciate the topic. But first, let's let's try to guess how the end of this legislative session will play out. Session usually lasts around 100 days. It's been going on now for nearly 150 days. Session is taking longer than usual because... Um, The budget process is different this year. Lawmakers can no longer stuff unrelated bills into the into the budget for deal making purposes. Um, The courts have said that they need to stick to one topic at a time. Um, Also, the state is flush with cash and it's Governor Ducey's last year of his uh, eight years in office. So it seems like the governor wants uh, to get some big things done um, to go out with a flourish, even though. Um, many lawmakers maybe want to get out of there and start campaigning uh, for the midterm. So first question here is um, what's going to happen, do you think, in this in the end of this uh, legislative session? I know we had we had talked about uh, in a previous podcast episode the in terms of education funding, the potential for a grand bargain. Um, but since then, the income tax um negotiating chip or situation has been rendered moot by the by the court so um so in your view what's what's going on in this legislative session and what might happen in terms of uh in terms of education funding i confess that i i don't see an end game uh to uh, the budget or a sense that there's momentum towards an end game going on at present uh the le- legislative leadership seems to still mostly be working on a Republican-only budget. Uh, But it doesn't seem that a Republican-only budget is politically in the cards. Um, Senator Paul Boyer, a Republican, uh, has flatly said that uh, he wants to see the amount of additional funding that Prop 208 would have provided, $900 million to a $1 billion in additional K-12 funding, uh, provided or he's not going to vote for the budget. Um, but if legislative leadership were to concede to what Boyer wants, um, they would lose um, several Republican votes in both the House and the Senate. Uh, so it would seem that Uh, The only in-game is a bipartisan budget. There have been tentative overtures by legislative leadership to the Democrats, uh, but uh, the Democrats uh, will demand more than even Boyer is demanding. And there doesn't seem to be any 
serious negotiation going on. Um, so uh, it looks to me like uh, the legislature and the leadership in particular are just uh, treading water, working primarily on an approach, a Republican-only budget, uh, that seems uh, very politically unlikely. And Boyer also, as part of his request or or demand, wants an increase in vouchers, right? He, has, he wants to increase... I'm not sure if he wants to go all the way to the universal ESA options, um, but that seems to be, if you want to go in a bipartisan way, it seems like that might be a sticking point because, you know, on the Republican side, there are some Republicans who don't want to increase funding at all past the, the baseline levels. And then on the Democrat side, there is a, I'm guessing, a refusal to budge on the on the voucher thing. Is that yeah? I'm not accurate. I'm not sure the extent to which the ESA, uh, the voucher expansion, uh, is is uh, much of a hardcore requirement for Boyer's vote as the increased uh, overall funding, and and there might be a compromise available there to just uh, limit any expansion to people below a certain income threshold. There might be some Democrats that would be willing to consider that. Um, but um, the uh, larger takeaway point is that there doesn't appear to be any negotiations going on that would yield an answer to those questions uh, as to what uh, Boyer is willing to yield on, uh, what Democrats might be willing to accept, uh, what more Democrats would require. Uh, they care a lot about uh, a expansion of the child tax credit uh, in Arizona. Um, and there's a variety of other important issues for them that they care about more than uh, the Republicans. Um, those are not easy negotiations. And they do not appear to be taking place uh, in earnest. So it doesn't appear that most of the attention is being devoted to the path that has the greatest likelihood of success. And then there, there's a, there have been a few other items that have been sort of kicked around. Um, you know, the Ducey a few years ago, I tried to get a red flag um, law in terms of school safety slash gun control. It's probably too late um, to to get the ball moving on that. The other big one was was water. Um, water experts are warning that we're in in trouble with with water and and drought and our backup reserves being stretched. And and, and Ducey had proposed a big plan um, for a, for a water authority, but. Uh, you and many others had serious issues with the governmental structure he had proposed for that for that water authority, and it's just a really complicated and, and and important thing with time running out. I mean, a budget has to get done by June 30th um, for there to be funding for government programs going forward. So, what might happen with the water situation? Um, Governor Ducey has um, been pretty consistent and highly successful in holding uh, the budget hostage uh, to um, what 
policy preferences that he wants. And it certainly appears that uh, this water deal uh, is a legacy project for him. And I don't think that he will yield on it uh, very uh, easily. And I don't think that he will be willing to give up his leverage over the budget uh, in order, for example, to deal with it in a special session where he wouldn't have the same leverage. On the other hand, there are, it, it, it appears that there's more problems with the governance structure that the governor proposed uh, than there is with the billion dollar um, sinking fund that he proposed for water augmentation projects. Uh, and once again, I think there's a little bit more constructive activity occurring on trying to work out the knots in the governing structure than there is to pursue a successful pathway to the overall budget. Um, but um, those also don't seem to be getting the kind of traction that would be necessary in order to get things done by the deadline. Uh, if you believe that the deadline is the enactment of the budget before the end of the fiscal year. There's no logical reason why that needs to be the case with water. There's certainly, you, you could reserve the money uh, while continuing to uh, debate and work on the governing structure. There's no need for that to be done by June 30. But again, I am doubtful that the governor will give up his leverage via the budget over what happens with water um, quickly or easily. Any other, any other points you want to make on the, uh, on this legislative session and, and the deadline coming up before we switch gears and talk about primaries and campaigns? Only the sense of being perplexed uh, by the lack of urgency um, that appears to be there and, uh, the lack of seriousness about following the route that appears to be necessary in order to get a successful end game. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's let's switch gears here and 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 switch the focus to campaigns and and, and elections and options for for independents. Um, and again, the primary is coming up. August second um, is the primary. Uh, early person, early in person voting. So voting early but in person starts on July 6th, um, which I'm guessing is around the time they'll be mailing, um, mailing out ballots. But if you vote by mail and you're a registered independent, you need to request through your county recorder by June 9th um, either a Republican or a Democratic ballot. You don't have to change your registration. You just have to request one of those uh, one of those ballots. If you're already a registered Republican or Democrat and you're registered to vote by mail, that will be um, sent to you. And this question actually is courtesy of a Robert Robb reader and a podcast listener. And the, the, the person who asked the question is coming at it from the perspective of being an independent voter that wants, desires a more centrist politics in and governance in, in, in the state, and is wondering what the strategy should be in terms of picking a Democrat ballot or a Republican ballot. What's your response to um, 
this reader slash listener question. Uh, I thought it was a very uh, intriguing and interesting question when it when it was posed, uh, and it was a more difficult one at the time that it was posed, uh, which was before Aaron Lieberman uh, dropped out of the Democratic primary uh, for governor. Um, he, uh, in his short tenure in the legislature, um, uh, seemed to be a little bit more pro-business than the usual Democrat, uh, and um, offered uh, a potential more centrist uh, candidate uh, on the Democratic side um, for governor, uh, while you've got all Trumpian candidates on uh, the Republican side. So I thought that it, that, that it was a more interesting question in terms of strategically, if that's your objective, should you choose a Democratic ballot or a Republican ballot? With Lieberman dropping out of the race, uh, there's not a lot of contested contests uh, on the Democratic side. Uh, Mark Kelly is, is uh, running unopposed in, in the U.S. Senate race. Uh, Katie Hobbs appears to have a huge insurmountable lead uh, on for the uh, gubernatorial primary. There's only one candidate on the ballot for attorney general, uh, Chris uh, Mays, on the Democratic side. Uh, there is a contest for secretary of state, but it's not one uh, that appears to pose the question that that the listener uh, was interested in. There doesn't seem to be a big difference between the two candidates in terms of who might move towards a more centrist uh, um, policy in, in governance. So as it turns out, um, virtually all the choices are on the Republican side. Uh, they have lots of candidates running for nearly uh, every office, uh, but um, none of them seem to be pursuing a independent non-Trumpian view uh, or a more centrist set of policy uh, prescriptions than the other candidates. They all seem to be running pretty much uh, the same same campaign, offering the same policies, the same rhetoric. There's a perception that some of them are not as sincere <laughs> in, in what they're saying uh, as others. Um, um, so you don't have a lot of choices on the on the Democratic side because you don't have a lot of candidates. You have lots of candidates on the Republican side, but not a lot of differences between the candidates. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm also gonna post on the on the show notes. If you click on the show notes of this of this episode, I'm gonna post a couple links and resources um, that might help sort through uh, sort through the question. The Arizona uh, Agenda had had published a, a cheat sheet for what the candidates on the Republican side for governor, secretary of state, and attorney general have said about the 2020 election. Um, um, there's a there's a few articles in the um, in the Arizona Republic from this um, from this weekend, who described um, some of the differences between between the candidates on, on on a few different matters. So check the notes there. But I think you know maybe and we've been we've been pretty you know I've me personally I've been a, a never Trumper and pretty adamant on um, on this topic, and we've been you know very very critical of of Republicans who have been willing to. Um, sort of indulge and wink and nod to the 
um, to the lies and the efforts to undermine the 2020 election and in service to the loser of that election. But do you think in terms of this question, do you think it's sensible to say, okay, obviously there are extreme, there's super extremists in these, in these races. And there are folks that, um, are, are less, are less extreme to say the, you know, they're, they're, they're striking a different tone um, they're not saying outright the same things. You know, me personally, I tend to think of it as from, from this one question of what will they do in positions of power when you're faced with, you know, things that, things that happened in 2020 where you can decide whether to uphold the law and follow the spirit of our, uh, the law and the spirit of our constitution and, and do the right thing. Like, Governor Ducey did, um, and, and Brnovich did, even though, um, Brnovich has since then, um, made decisions that with his, with his office that have caused me to seriously doubt whether he would be willing and and able to be a, an honest, uh, broker if the, if a similar situation happened in 2024, but at least with, I mean, at least with Karen Taylor Robeson, you might have a chance that she would do the right thing like Governor Ducey did in that kind of do or die situation. The problem for me is I don't know. (laughs) I don't know for sure. Um, So it's hard for me to say, it's hard for me to advocate or or defend anyone in the, in the, in, in this kind of situation for, for, for this big question in terms of, um, respect for the democratic process, but maybe, I mean, is there other, are there other centrist issues or, or policies that, that you can point that someone could point to and say, this is also another reason to, to support a Karen Taylor Robeson who has the big, biggest chance against Lake than the big, I would say the biggest chance to beat, to beat Lake. Um, if you don't want Carrie Lake to be the nominee. There, there are differences in, in how, how far down the big lie track, um, the candidates have walked. Um, unlike Carrie Lake, um, uh, Taylor Robeson has, uh, not flatly said that, um, uh, Trump won the 2020 election and it was stolen through through fraud. Uh, unlike uh, Lake, who has explicitly called for eliminating mail ballots, uh, and unlike Salmon, who's flirted uh, with that idea, um, uh, Taylor Robeson has, has not. On the other hand, uh, she applauded and celebrated the fraudulent and discredited uh, Senate audit of the Maricopa County results. Um, so she certainly tried to cater uh, to uh, that sentiment. Uh, in terms of policy, there's in all of these races, with the possible exception of Secretary of State, um, there's not a lot of difference between the candidates, not only with how uh, willing they are to show fealty to Trump uh, on policy. Uh, they all are running on the same issues. They're saying pretty much the same thing about the same issues. 
the distinctions between them are, are very small uh, in uh, both the U.S. Senate and the governor's race. In the Secretary of State's race, uh, Bo Lane hasn't really gone down that uh, discrediting of the 2020 election the way that some of the other candidates are. And he is, he is running on the platform of restoring confidence in our elections. Uh, but one of the best ways you could restore confidence in our elections is to stop lying about them. So, right. And in the attorney general's race, um, there was only one candidate uh, in the debate among the uh, GOP hopefuls who unequivocally said that she would have certified the uh, 2020 election, and that's Lacey Cooper. Um, so there are a couple of candidates out there who, from this particular perspective, and independent looking uh, for more centrist policy and governance, um, to suggest that there's at least a couple candidates out there in a couple races on the Republican side um, who haven't fully bought into uh, the big lie. Um, and they are, as you described, uh, reasons to, uh, in both the U.S. Senate and the governor's race, uh, to create some hope that that uh, some of these candidates are uh, playing politics rather than uh, truly being where they proclaim themselves to be on the campaign trail. Why don't you, so you've, many in the, in the, in the political world and the Republican world. And, and, and you brought up in your last column about Georgia, how in Georgia you had, um, you know, you had Brian Kemp, um, the governor, and then a, um, an elections official, um, Raffensperger, um, that they, they stuck, they stuck to their, they stuck to the law. They stuck to being honest. Um, they, um, and they won their primaries against Trump backed and Trump supported and, and stopped the Steeler um, candidates. Now, in, in, in Arizona, there are there are individuals um, at the, you know, at the, at the Maricopa County level um, that have been in those positions, but they're not running for, you know, they're not running for these state wide offices right now. How would you, I don't know, why didn't we see any candidates like that in the cycle? And do you think it's just, you know, we're having to, to wait another cycle before the Trump fever peters out even more? Or what, how do you think, how do you explain that we don't have any options like, like they did in, um, I would say, more pure traditional slash principal conservative candidates? Mm -hmm. It's certainly true that we don't, and, and it is uh, hugely uh, disappointing. Uh, the assumption has been in Arizona that you got to run in the Trump lane in order to have a chance to win a Republican primary. The, the Georgia results demonstrated that that's not necessarily true. Uh, and uh, the results in the Virginia uh, general election uh, by uh, uh, Youngkin uh, winning the governor's race uh, indicate that if you run independently of Trump, you have a better chance of winning in the general election. Uh, and 
that would be particularly true in Arizona this election cycle. It's, it is shaping up to be a potentially big Republican year. Uh, and uh, you could have had uh, candidates running independent of Trump on the Republican side who would have had a chance to win the primary election. And if they won the primary election, they would have a huge advantage and right. a likelihood of winning the general election. The fact that we have no such candidates, uh, and particularly in the high-profile U.S. Senate and gubernatorial race, uh, you're going to have candidates that have pledged fealty to Trump, um, irrespective of what the outcome is on the Republican side. Right. Uh, and that gives Democrats um, a much better chance of winning in the general election for those two seats uh, than they otherwise would have. Um, so it is um, uh, disappointing and, and discouraging. And, and you, from the beginning of this election cycle, uh, and I give you credit for it in my most recent column, um, uh, were asking the, the question, if you've got a multi-candidate race and everyone else is running in the Trump lane, why isn't there anyone running in the independent of Trump lane? Uh, particularly when the suspicion is that would be a more comfortable lane for some of these candidates to be running in. Well, I was, I was in, but I was also in favor of that, even if it wasn't a winning strategy, because Correct. it's, it's, because it's not giving, you know, how I, I see it as, I see it as a civil war within the, you know, for the soul of the Republican party between those that um, are traditional conservatives that respect norms and the, and the institutions and, and our constitution and those of the so-called new right or MAGA or, or pro-Trump Republicans who kind of seem like they think that um, they think that it's either tyranny by us or tyranny by the left. And so we got to choose our, we got to choose our, Caesar, something like that. It seems like that's their perspective on the situation is, hey, we're going, this country is moving towards autocracy, so we got to choose our fighters so we can beat the left. It's, I don't know if you see, if you think that that's their mindset, but it seems like that is like that for some of them. And I feel like, I feel like if you're a Republican, there's a, there's a, there's a battle line and, and, and not, in my in my mind, not a lot of traditional Republicans have been willing to um, defend, you know, the soul of the conservative soul of the of the Republican Party, and, and to defend our um, to defend our our system of of uh, you know constitutional republic government, um, and I and I, I know that. I don't know. Do you do you see it that way, or is that is that being tr too dramatic? I think that's a real uh, factor here, and I do believe, in addition to, in addition to the tactical political considerations um, about uh, running in the if everyone else is in the Trump lane, running in the uh, non-Trump lane, uh, that that there that there is a moral dimension to the issue. Uh, I, I was much later than you to uh, coming to the conclusions that you reached from the beginning about Trump. 
but to me, there's no question that he tried to engineer a coup um, after uh, losing the 2020 election. And uh, nationwide and here in Arizona, a dispiriting number of Republican uh, office holders uh, and officials uh, were uh, not only willing to indulge that, but were active participants in it. Um, right. So I do believe it has the moral dimension that you uh, describe. Uh, and uh, particularly since tactically, it might have been better for some of these right. candidates to pursue the moral path. Uh, it's That makes it uh, doubling uh, disappointing and disheartening that there's utterly nobody uh, running for the two most important offices up in this election, U.S. Senate and governor, who could fairly be described as uh, making that case and taking that position. Yeah. Well, we don't have any uh, we don't have any running in Arizona this cycle, I guess not not. I guess there's a we've I guess we've described the the different flavors and the different varieties of of options uh, that are there. Um, we might have to wait another election cycle to see um, to see more you know uh, pure principled or or Georgia like like candidates. But we'll see we'll see we'll see what happens this this cycle uh, and beyond. Last question: Who you got in the NBA Finals? Got the Warriors against the Celtics. I, I know that you're a Warriors fan, and I uh, would love to see their brand of basketball prevail. But as you also know, I've pretty much had it with the NBA, and and I'm not I'm not even watching the games. <laughs> yeah, I, I root for the Dubs. I lived in I lived in the Bay Area for for a couple of years, and they started being when the when the Warriors started being competitive. But I agree that quality of the game is as. I mean, the refs just seem like they're so inconsistent. The players are complaining all the time. They took away the and ones, um, the continuations at the end. So there's fewer exciting plays. People are launching threes every possession. I don't know. Quality. The product of the NBA has slipped a little bit, in my opinion. Uh, but anyways, thanks any, everyone for listening to the uh, Political Notebook podcast. Make sure you check the uh, the show notes for some um, for some links to read to read more of the topic. Thank you very much for um, the reader slash listener for uh, for the question for today, um, and subscribe to the to the podcast on any podcasting app. Thank you. <laughs>